So it's uh, hard not to think about, you know, as I was, as we're kind of preparing for this Sunday and we're making decisions like, hey, do we meet or not meet? And, you know, I'm looking at the, the passage and thinking about the sermon and thinking about what do we talk about. And uh, it's hard not to think about what a difference two weeks makes, isn't it? I mean, every single, I mean, it's not usual you get to say that, but I, every single person in this room, uh, I don't know what your life is like day to day. I don't know what, you know, uh, whether it's generally good or bad right now or up or down. But I, I do know this, that, that your life has changed in the past two weeks than it was before. It, it, it's uh, it's kind of unsettling, isn't it? When we see things like, so some of you guys are, uh, are a little bit poorer than you were two weeks ago. And all of us are more at risk and wondering like, hey, what is the present going to look like? What is the present looking like? And what's the future going to look like? And there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of um, like a lack of sureness, right? And, and that's unusual for us as Americans because we've experienced a season of unprecedented wealth and ease. And you might say, hey, I'm not very wealthy. And I don't feel like my life is very easy, but the truth is that almost everyone in this room, uh, compared to the rest of the world, are incredibly wealthy, and our life is much easier than the vast majority of people across the globe. And, and, and what that does for us as Americans is it sort of insulates us from like, what real life is like for most people around the world, for most of history. When life is fairly easy and, you know, there's food and maybe not as much money or as much food as you'd like, but there's food and there's money. And, you know, if you have a little bit of money, you'll throw the, the stock market. You haven't had to be very smart over the past 10 years. It can make some money and there's general wealth and general prosperity and general ease. And what that does for us as people is it sort of hypnotizes us by with comfort and false security. It says like, hey, because we're Americans or because I'm smart or because I have this much money in my account or because I am, am in this career or whatever the deal is, like, hey, I'm comfortable, I'm secure, and I don't have to worry about anything until something comes across the map that is much bigger than all of us. And no matter how smart you are and how powerful you are, we can't figure out how to make the economy stop doing what it's doing and how to make this pandemic stop because there is no stopping it. And what that does for us is it sort of leaves us in a very uncomfortable, unusual place as Americans is feeling like out of control and out of sorts because this is something that we can't laugh away, right? I mean, we are legitimately, most of us, many of us are legitimately scared. And most of us don't know what to do Except, like, maybe buy a lot of toilet paper. I don't know. Because apparently the way to combat a pa- pandemic is with a wall of toilet paper. And, hey, if you have a whole wall of toilet paper in your house, like, I might be coming to your house in a day or two. Because, uh, you know, we had to have a normal amount of toilet paper in my house. But I think we, we do those kind of things because we don't know what to do. We don't feel in control. And so we have to feel like... What can we grasp so that we can pull around us so we can suddenly feel in control? That's where most of us are, right? And really the question that's happening is, where do we go and what do we trust? 
That's really the question. When the chips are down, when things are hard, which for many of us, it's not usually that hard. We're able to navigate around. But things, when things are truly and legitimately hard, where do we go? And who can we trust? And that's really what this passage is about in a lot of ways. This passage is talking about how you and I build our lives and what we are building our trust upon. What, what, where are we going with our life? What is our life producing? You see, the, the truth is that your life and my life is producing some kind of fruit. That's what is the picture here is that our life is producing some kind of fruit. And, and just like a tree, if a tree produces a, a fruit. So uh, growing up, we had, a, we had two pear trees in our backyard. We had one pear tree that never produced fruit. And then we had one tree that produced copious amounts of pears. And when it would get to that time of the season, in the summer, when the, the pears would form and they would get huge and they would fall off, you could see like, you could say in a way that that was that tree's life work. That, that was that all of the tree had done for the prior year, the prior 12 months had gone into this moment producing the fruit that people could come along and eat. And the, the reason the, the tree is producing the fruit is other than humans come along and eating it is so it can propagate itself, right? And so it's the one thing that it's doing all the energy that's drawing from the ground and from the sun and from the rain, all that it's doing is trying to produce enough nutrients so it can produce this fruit. That's its life's work. And you and I are producing something with our life's work. That's our fruit. That's what Paul is talking about in this passage. He says, you are producing a fruit in your life. Look at verse 21 of chapter 6, if you have it. If you don't think there's some Bibles underneath your chairs, if uh, you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab that and take it home. He says, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed for the end of those things is death? What he's saying is that you and your life are producing fruit. That is your life's work that you are producing, that your life is producing something. And that means that your actions and your words and even your thoughts are producing a fruit that are showing your life's work. Your actions, the things that you do affect you and affect the people around you. It's the fruit of your life that you are producing. Your words, the things that you say affect you and affect the people around you is part of the fruit of your life. And even your thoughts affect the way that affect is really the sort of the core of where your actions and your words come from. And your, your thoughts at the very center, they affect you and they affect the things, the people around you. Your life is producing something and it affects you and affects the people around you. That is the fruit of your life or the result of your life. It's your life's work. Jesus described it elsewhere like this in Matthew 7, 24 and 27. He, he said, here's what life is like. He says, life is like this. There's a, a man who decided to build a house and he built the house on sand or sandy ground. If you, we're li- we live near the beach. And so you picture somebody showing up. And they just build a house like they normally would right there beside the sand dunes, right on the sand. And, and if you ever notice, like when you see the people build houses on the ocean, they don't build them like they do my house. I live further inland. I don't have enough money to live on the ocean. If you do, man, that's awesome. But you know, I live much, much further inland in a much lower rent district. But if you, I've seen people build the houses, the building that are by the ocean. And what they have to do, they have to drive deep footers, deep deep down into the ground in order to hold that building steady. 
So that when because the, the the sand that is there is shiftable. When the when the winds come and the waves come, it shifts the ground. And Jesus said, the man who builds his house on the sand, he builds his house there, and everything looks fine. It's sort of like the the story of the three little pigs, right? You have the that the, the pig with the hay, and you have the pig with the, sh- the the stick house, and you have the pig with the brick house. Well, hey. The, the guy with the brick house, the, the pig with the brick house, he looks stupid for most of the story. Because the pig with the straw house and the pig with the stick house, man, they get done a lot faster. And their house looks very nice. And it's very comfortable. They furnish it very nicely. And they're having parties in there. They're singing and dancing. And while the whole time they're singing and dancing, the pig with the brick house is still actually still building this house. He's probably not even done with the foundation by the time they're having their first or second party in the brick, I mean, in the straw or the stick house. But the wolf comes and a gentle puff blows down the straw house that runs the stick house. A little bit harder blow, you guys know the story, right? Blows the stick house down. I don't know why I'm telling you guys like, you know, Mother Goose stories. But Jesus said, that's what our life is like. It's, some people build a house on, it's the, the fruit of their life, they build it on sand and it shifts. And, when, and then the, someone else builds their house on the rock. Now the person who builds the house on the sand can probably get it done faster, easier, and it can look just as good from the outside as the person who built on the rock. But Jesus said, here's the difference. Nobody sees the difference until the storm comes. Until the wind blows, until the wolf shows up, until the waves crash against it. And all of a sudden the house that's built on the sand shifts and falls. And the house that's built on the rock stands. And see, what that's saying is that you and I, the fruit of our life, the result of our effort that we're putting into our life, the actions that we do, the words that we say, the thoughts that we think that create those words and create those actions, that what we build our life with makes a difference in how we build our life makes a difference. The test is how it stands and not how it stands when it's sunny and beautiful outside and the tulips are blooming and the birds are chirping and everything is nice. It's how it stands when the rain is falling and the wind is blowing. That's the test. See, the test for your life is not when everything is easy and comfortable and you have money in the bank and there's no pandemic and everything is okay. The test of your life and how it stands, the fruit of your life, the what is the result of your life's work is tested whenever there's something coming that is bigger than you and you have no control of. It's whenever your bank account gets empty. It's when you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And it's not just the big things like a pandemic or a stock market crash. It is in the very small things for the rest of the world that can change your life in a moment. You get a phone call from the doctor and that routine test you took all of a sudden takes you in a different direction than you ever thought it would. You get a call from a policeman calling about your family member or your friend and all of a sudden your life takes a totally different turn and then the rest of the world it barely caused a ripple but it turns your life upside down as the storm that hits up against your house is the testing of your fruit and the question is that Paul asks in verse 21 it says but what kind of fruit were you getting at the time 
for the things of which you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free, he's talking to Christians here. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. What, you know what Paul's saying? He's really asking this question when he says, what kind of fruit are you getting? He's really asking this. He says, how's it working out for you? How is your manner of life working out for you? Not when it's sunny and it's calm, but when the storm comes. When the foundation of the house that you're building is tested. How's it working out for you? Uh, Paul elsewhere, you can turn there in Galatians 5. Um, if you're uh, kind of new to Christianity, it's further back this this way in your New Testament, in your Bible, in Galatians 5, God's electric power company right after Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. That's how you can, I still remember it that way. Galatians, Ephesians, God's electric power company. G-E-P-C, God's electric power company. Adriana just got it. All right. G-E-P-C. It's not a joke. It's really how I remember it. Now, Paul says here, now the works of the flesh are evident. So what kinds of works? When he says, how's it working out for you? What is he talking about? Whatever he says, how's it working out for you? He says this, these two kinds of fruit that he's talking about here. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Okay. Enmity, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, oh, sorry, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He said, that's the works of the flesh. And it's interesting when you read this list, like it's not an exhaustive list, but he says things, are, things like these. But when you read this list, like some of these things stand out, right? Like sexual immorality and, uh, you know. Sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, that kind of stands out, right? Orgies, that stands out, okay? Like those things, like if you grew up around church or kind of like somewhere near like a Judeo-Christian kind of upbringing, you think like, okay, like those are bad things. Those are immoral things, right? And so you, you, maybe you like, you know, like, well, I don't do that. I'm, that's not my life. That's not who I am. But, but look at some of these other things that he lists out. He says... Enmity, jealousy, anger, rivalries, divisions, envy. He's saying, you look at these works, that's the work of the flesh. And you know what happens? That no matter, no matter outside of, unless you're a Christian, no matter what your life looks like, you fall somewhere in that list. You might be outwardly just outright immoral, what we would what we would consider in a Judeo Christian background immoral, or your life might look very nice and like polite, and you might be a respected member of society. You might even be a respected member of church. Your life is a nice, you're a nice person, and yet we can none of us get away from dissensions and envy and jealousy and divisions. 
That's inside all of our hearts. And what he's saying is that all of us are producing a fruit with our lives. And we're either producing that kind of life or in verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the spirit is this love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the fruit of the spirit. And so here's what he's saying. He's like, he's contrasting these two types of fruit. He's contrasting the the result of your life, your life's work. What is it producing? And here's the question that that we have to ask is that, first of all, when you look at these two types of of fruit, these two types of life is saying, is my life resulting in good results for me and for others? Did you see the difference between those two? All those things in the first first list, he says, are going to produce death for you and for the people around you. It degrades relationships, it degrades you. But when you look at the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, those are things that produce good results for me and for others. It's really asking is this, is is the result of my life, is the fruit of my life producing something that can stand the test of time? That's why he said back in Romans, our passage, he says, he calls them shameful acts. Is your life producing the kind of fruit it stands the test of time. It's sort of like someone who gets a, uh, an ill-advised tattoo that does not stand the test of time. Oh, you've seen them, right? Uh, like they, they got a tattoo that seemed like a good idea on a, a late night where they might have had a, you know, a, a little bit, you know, they're a little bit impaired in their thinking. And they're 20, 21, 22 years old. And like, they seem like, this is a great idea. And then suddenly at 55, they're like, that was a terrible terrible idea. And that's not all tattoos. I'm just saying like there are good tattoos and there are ill-advised tattoos and the kind that you regret for a long time afterwards. And he says, the, the kind of fruit of your life, the, between the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit is the kind that lasts and stands the test of time. It's the kind of house that is built on solid ground. The question is, is my life producing something that can withstand the challenges and crises of life or more importantly, this is really the big question. Is my life producing that which is pleasing to God? That's really the core of it. Is my life producing that which is pleasing to God? Because that's the true and the deep test of whether the fruit of your life is lasting or won't last. Is the fruit of my life pleasing to God? That's a question that all of us need to ask. Not just, is it good for others and will it stand the test of time, but is it pleasing to God? What kind of fruit are you producing? That's really the great great question. And that's the the question that all of us have to to wrestle with and have to deal with, right? And if you don't, like, the rest of your life, like, the rest of this kind of passage just really doesn't even really make sense. Because if you're like, hey, the fruit of my life, the thing that I'm testing is, am I at ease? Am I comfortable? Am I meeting my goals? Am I having fun? Do people like me? Do they admire me? Then you won't really have any interest in this question that he's posing you. Not really. Not until something happens that brings you up face to face with the question is, is the result of my life, is my life's work pleasing to God? And is it something that will stand the test of time? Will it withstand crises? Will it stand up when things are tough, when the chips are down? 
And the next thing that makes us think about is like, all right, like, all right, if I'm producing one of these types of fruit, then why am I producing it? And Paul answers it. He says, you're producing that a certain type of fruit because you serve a certain type of master. See, the truth is there's no such thing as freedom, at least not in the way that you and I think about it. Not as Westerners, not as Americans. Because for us, freedom is being neutral. Like, I'm neutral and I can decide whether I'm going to go this way or that way. And the choice is all on me. Like, whether I decide whether that way looks better or that way looks better. And that's true freedom. That's what we think about as freedom. But if you're not a Christian, you, you may think that you're free. You may think like you can choose whatever that you want to do. You can, and you can, right, up to a point. But Paul's saying that all of us are either slaves to sin or slaves of God. And there's no in-between. You can make whatever choice that you want as long as you're a slave to sin. But it's always going to result in fruit that is not pleasing to God and doesn't last. And that leads to what he says leads to death. Always. If you're not a believer, the only thing that you're truly free from is glad submission to God. You're free from that. You can choose whatever, and that's what he says. He says, you can choose whatever you want to do as long as it's within the realm of being a, serving the master of sin. But the thing that you are truly free from is free from being gladly submitted to God. Because it's that glad submission to God that is the heartbeat of what it means to be a Christian. That's the heartbeat of what it means to get to the place where you can produce the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. The kind of things that last and stand the test of time to build the house on solid ground. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, the one who does this is the one who hears my words and does them. That's the one who builds on the rock and not on the shifting sand. And here's where we get stuck. Because I can't make myself, if I'm serving the master of sin, I can't make myself gladly submit to God. I'm stuck. I'm doing what I want to do. And whether I admit that I'm serving another master or not, that is still what I'm doing. And I might be fooling myself or be fooled into thinking that I'm the master of my own domain, but actually I'm serving another master and I can't get there. I can't cross the chasm to get to the place where I can gladly submit to God. That's what he's saying. You're saying you're either a slave or serving the master of sin or you're a slave to God or serving him as master. In order for that to happen, in order for me to get from here to there, something has to happen. Something has to happen to see that to serve the master of sin leads to shameful fruit and that leads to death. But to serve the master gladly to to submit myself to God as master leads to fruit of of righteousness, of sanctification. That means that that word there, you may not know what it means. It means to where your life starts to look more and more like what God has called it to look like. It looks more and more like the life of Jesus. Your life, 
glad submission to God produces the fruit of sanctification, which leads to eternal life. It's one of those. Something has to happen for you to see that slavery, your slavery to sin is the cause and the effect that it leads to is death. And we're set there until we get to verse 23. When things change. Look at the first part. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. He's saying that the, the fruit or the earned wages for your sin reduce, takes us, leads us to death. But again, seeing that isn't enough to change us until we get to the last part of that verse. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see the, the, the contrast and the comparison there? He says the wages, when you serve the master of sin, it leads to fruit that leads to death. And that is what you have earned. And if you want to get to the other side, he says the free gift of God, it can't be earned, leads to eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know what moves you from one side to the other side? It's seeing that Jesus is the better master. Jesus is the better master and you are serving one or the other. You're either serving sin leading to death or you're serving God gladly, but there is no in between. And Jesus is the better master. Do you know why he's a better master? Because sin gives you the wages that you deserve. But Jesus says, I'll take those. I'll take the wages that you deserve and I'll give you what I earned, namely the perfect life that Jesus lived as 100% God and 100% man, the perfect life that he lived and the death substituting himself for you and for me and the resurrection life that he earned. He says, but you get that and you get it as a free gift. It can't be earned. And when you see that, when you see the Jesus who came and he took what you had earned, your rightful wages, you had earned it. It's the life that you had built. It's like he shows up and he says, hey, I've built this house that will withstand the storm and the storm is coming. Why don't you go over there and I'll stay in your house tonight? And you go in his house and the waves break and the wind roars and nothing moves. And he takes and it goes into your house and the whole thing collapses upon him. And he takes your work, the result of your life, your earnings. He takes it upon himself and you get his work on your behalf. That's enough to stir your affections and to stir your soul. And to see, Jesus is a better master. Why? Because he gives you what you can never earn because he earned it and he gives it in exchange and sin only wants to give you more. And it says, earn more and more. Sin says, pile it up more and more. Hey, this much sex, this much envy, this much greed, this much money. It hasn't done it. What if you double that? Go higher. 
Put all your chips in. Maybe it'll work. Hey, remember that fleeting bit of pleasure you had? Hey, put all your chips in and chase that. You chase it and you chase it and you chase it all the while. You're piling up more and more losings, more and more earnings in your column. It is only baiting you further and further in when Jesus is standing there saying, I offer you all that I have and I'll take your debt. Jesus is the better master. Absolutely free. With no conditions. Do you get that? It says a free gift, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. No No conditions. He doesn't say, hey, if you want this life, why don't you stop doing that? Why don't you start giving to the church? Why don't you read your Bible every day for a few months and then we'll come back and talk? Why don't you put this much of time of prayer a day? Why don't you say this many things? Why don't you do this, say, do this many rows like Hail Mary's like, He doesn't say that. He says, I offer to you freely with no conditions. You can't earn it. You only accept it. When you see that Jesus is the better master. And you gladly and joyfully submit your life to him as Lord. I don't know where you are with that today. I don't know what your life is producing. I don't know what the result of your life's work is. But I do know this. That apart from Christ, you're serving a much poorer, much lower master. And he stands today putting out a call to you saying, come to me. And I will not turn you away. Don't clean yourself up. Don't make yourself better. Just accept the free gift that I'm giving you. And serve me. If that's you this morning, I pray that you would accept the free gift. Right now, in your seat, you can do that. In your heart, you can say, God, I've been serving myself. I've been serving a much poorer master, and I know the result is death. And if you're real, even just this, if you're real, would you show me? I know we will. And if you're a Christian here this morning, I think the call comes to us and says, what kind of fruit is your life producing? You have the foundation of Christ, but are you building with gold, silver, precious stones, or are you building with wood, hay, and straw? Then do you see, like, 
If we accept the free gift that comes from Christ, do you see how that is a life that can produce a life of lasting fruit? Do you see how that is a life that can withstand the crises and troubles and challenges? No matter what the world throws at you, it can withstand no matter what. Romans 8, 38, Paul says this. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. This is my parentheses, nor pandemics, nor stock market crashes, no cancer, no divorce, no broken relationships, no poverty, no loss of life and limb, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Because the master, the Lord Jesus, is greater than it all. And if he holds us, nothing can shake us. And the life that we'll produce by his power, not our own, will lead to fruit of sanctification. We'll grow day by day, looking more and more like Jesus. And we know that will lead to eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord.